Can you not hear me? No, I can. Okay, that's good then. I just thought we were going through this. Uh, I am, um, you know, it's, you, know, it, it, you sound, you know, you, you sound a bit off this morning. I, yeah, I think you should uh, definitely sip your coffee. It sounds like you need a caffeine injection. I was woken up by a, <laughs> by a being confronted with uh, the fact that, that, uh, I should I be admitting this on air? Sometimes I make mistakes. Sometimes you make a PR, it gets approved, it runs through the test, but the merge button doesn't press its tap itself automatically. Apparently, <laughs> oh, I see. So something I thought had been into a release did. So I, I was scrambling a little bit this morning. I thought you were one of these people who was so important. You had someone to press the merge button for you. It seems like I need somebody, not because I'm important, just because I'm stupid. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Uh, forgetting to do something? Not that I can remember. Yeah. But that's probably why it has happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, thinking, thinking no, but... I'd merge something. Uh, yeah, not pushing an update to a PR after you've done the fixes. That's a fairly regular one. Um, so if people are saying, you know, someone's saying, well, yeah, your PR's not changed. And I'm saying, well, I've made all the changes. And then you realize you've not pushed the branch. Um, yeah, but basically, I think I have a general level of incompetence at the same level as you. Oh, well, I'm, I'm very happy to know that. I'm sure there are those out there, John, who are perfect. Yeah. But I doubt they listen to this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because they would be infected by the imperfection. I think just, just the very act of listening to this show makes you an imperfect person. Yeah, but did you notice how you know what great kudos that uh, it's not for us? It's all really only for 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 Sam for the audio intro of last week. Yes, Georg. Yes, went to set himself about on Twitter, and and Sam, I want you to know um, as you're listening to this and getting you know ready to think which section you will distort, not the one that contains my audio track because I properly credited you on the Twitter. Enough said. That, that that background dog sound, that's not actually a dog. That's what Sam did to Scotty's yeah. voice. <laughs> let's make Scotty sound like he's near a dog. But no, I, I, I think let's... in there with the dog should be a few hippopotamus and maybe maybe an elephant. Uh, and mm. a 1972 Ford Cortina. That's very specific. Uh, Sam's got nothing else to do. He needs a challenge. Yeah, true. Well, Scotty, tell us all about your glorious week. Uh, well, do you know what? I've, um, I've For the second week running, I'm going to have to say I've, I've been doing the same thing as before. Uh, gradually piecing things back together, gradually getting rid of notifications and replacing them with um, uh, something a bit more uh, direct. Uh, within our app, we use um, we set up like our own observer set of, sort of pattern that we use. Um, effectively, it's like a delegate but you can assign multiple things to it. So, you know, um, uh, so, so it just it, it just calls the delegate method on multiple things instead of one. Um, and it holds them in a weak way. So because, you know, it it's, means you've got to write a little bit more code, means you have to do a little bit more conformance. But the, the trouble is I have with notifications is when you're observing, you know, notification observation errors are pretty common when you use notifications. You know, not not deregistering um, for a notification when something then goes out of scope or something, and then the whole thing crashes. And uh, the existing manual is just literally it is the whole. You know, I'd say eighty percent of the code base is bindings or notifications. I'm exaggerating, but it's it's uh, 
Um, and we, and <laughs> nothing, nothing unstable about that. Yeah, and we get loads of errors. And of course, you know, when it when it says you know crash because of this and this notification, um, you know, you you know where that notification might be handled, and you know where that notification might be thrown. But but those two events could be totally disconnected with who knows what else going on in the middle. It's really hard, really hard to to track down. So, but using more of a a delegate pattern in there. You know, when you do get a crash for something, you get a proper stack trace. You, you know, it's it's you know from the notification, the effects of the observer being called uh, to the observer being actioned by the thing that's doing the observation. There is a, a definite stack trace all the way through to where that happened, and if the observer calls something, uh, and, and so on. So, uh, firstly, you, I think you get less crashes because there's none of this. Um, you know it. Uh, being registered for a notification when you don't exist anymore. Uh, but equally, when you do get issues, you know, a stack trace makes a big look, big about a difference, I think, when debugging, personally. <laughs> um, or a stack trace that is actually connected to the event as opposed to a stack trace that's just random crash because this is the point that notification was received at some point after it was thrown um, or posted. Sorry, not thrown. That's an error thrown. Um, so yeah, it's just a way of really just plugging on through the code base where and and where it's sensible. I mean, there's lots of things. Core Data uses a lot of um, uh, notifications for undo and redo and that sort of thing. Not trying to replace you know, not trying to replace things that you're supposed to do with notifications at system level, um, but just trying to replace the stuff that has been uh, written to work that way with uh, a way uh, we prefer. Well, at the same time, refactoring the code doing a cleanup, breaking things down. There's far too many, you know, sort of uh, source code files of like three, 4,000, maybe not quite that big, but, you know, definitely the, the 1,000, 2,000 line source code files. I think, you know, that's, that, that's too big. I think, personally, I don't think a source code file should be, should be up. In fact, we have, uh, when we're writing Swift, uh, I think Swift Lint is set for us to give you a warning if the code file is more than 400 lines long. Which sometimes, you know, you can't do, so you just have to disable that warning. But I think on the whole, to just get a warning when your code file is going to be big. And of course, with Swift and extensions, you can have the class quite big, but breaking down the code file into, um, you know, I don't know if you do this, but I, you know, sometimes often put an extension into its own file with the, the class name plus something to describe the extension. Right. Because then, you know, it's it's still, you might end up with one humongous class doing a whole bunch of stuff, but at least the code is, is is sort of like a little more separated and a little bit more functionally held together to, to make it a little bit more maintainable. So, yeah, lots of refactoring, lots of um, and just cleaning up things, uh, lots of trying to work out what's changed because, you know, uh, we, I think we've decided we weren't going to try and make the current version of MoneyWell, the next version of MoneyWell, support 10.13. Um, but I think we decided last week we're going to now uh, go ten fifteen. Now the reason ten jumped from thirteen to fifteen is there was uh, you lost by going to ten fourteen. There was a whole bunch. There was a, uh, a set of hardware that disappeared out of it, and the next time hardware disappears would be for Big Sur. So if once you once you say you need ten fourteen, the reality is anything that can run ten fourteen can run ten fifteen. So you might as well say ten fifteen is. Is your base level, and not because we want to use any of the Swift UI that came in in ten fifteen or anything. I think really, if you want to do proper Mac Swift UI, you probably need to be targeting ten sixteen, 
or 11 as we're now supposed to call it because Swift UI got so much better. But just little things like um, in on the Mac, you have um, NS menu validation as a protocol. Uh, so the way menus are validated changed in 10.14. And because I'm reconnecting a whole bunch of stuff because I've moved to a storyboard from some certain zibs and document files, it just feels wrong writing things in the old way. So at this point, I wanted to do it a new way. So we had a big discussion about, well, how far back do we want to support? And, yeah, we had this big discussion that, you know, Moneywell has been with us for a little while now. We've not done a major release, but it's going to be our first major release. And we're going to do a bunch of stuff with the product that is probably going to piss some of the current users off. Um, And so we've sort of, you know, We've sort of come to the conclusion that, you know, if we're going to piss them off, we might as well piss them off big time once <laughs> and just deal, right. with, Rather than just slow deal with the crap as opposed to piss 20% of the users off with this thing and then in the next release piss another 20% off with this thing. You might as well say, look, this is our first big release. This is our vision for it. You know, hopefully you all want to come with us. Hopefully you can deal with this. Um so accept these changes, except you need a slightly newer machine. I think I think 10.15 still mainly supports back to about machines from about 2012. So that's eight-year-old machines. I mean, that's, you know, I know there will be people out there with two. I think 10.13 supported back to about 2010. But that's, yeah, that's 10-year-old machines now. That's, yeah, I know there's people out there with older machines, but you've got to have a choice. Some You've, you've got to, at some point, you've got to say, we want to move forward. Uh, and you need to come with us. And I think this is the right time for us to do that. Well, I would say that if you're using money well to manage your money, you should be able to manage it, that you can replace your computer every 10 years. Well, I mean, this is a tricky one because sometimes the reason you're budgeting is because you don't have enough money. If you if you have That's if you have true. enough money, you don't... If you have lots of money, you don't need to budget. You just need to roughly keep an eye on it. Whereas often budgeting is done by people who... And not as fortunate as some of us can afford and, yeah, and absolutely they're trying to grab levels. onto every dollar and every cent because that's the way they make their life livable so it is a little bit of a tough a tough conclusion however i think if you're on a 10 year old machine now you you are probably beginning to struggle to run anything um and you're probably not gonna be able to run the next version and you you know it, it, so you'd already you're already what four or five releases of os 10 back um and so, although we sort of do appreciate that, but we think supporting back to 2012 is still being, you know, reasonably okay with that. Um, I mean, if it was like 2015, 2016, then that's that's again different. So it is a hard one, and because because we've never done a major release, um, and because we've only been doing small maintenance releases and bug fixes, we don't actually know our customer base that well. Because don't forget, we've acquired the customer base. We've not done anything major to upset them or inspire them yet, other than be very slow, which we get some complaints about, but that's fine. That's expected. Um, so it's really hard to tell. Um, we were using um, Crashlytics for analytics, but that was only that never officially sorted uh, supported the Mac, and now it definitely doesn't work on the Mac. So that's been removed, um, and we've not put new ones in yet uh, into the current code base because we're trying not to work on the current code base as much as possible um so it's very hard for us right this moment to take a snapshot of how many people are on what version maybe we will have to get some analytics back into the, the current code base but but it, I, at the end of the day you just got to make a call what's right for the software what's right for you because because you can't please everyone all the time uh um but you do have to be aware that you know 
I think particularly in a budgeting product, maybe users will be using an older machine. Indeed. Well, do you do you ever in the back of your mind have this fear that you have fractional money well users? Oh, I'm sure we have fractional money well users. Uh, the reality is, because Moneywell was, I think it's fair to say, virtually an abandoned product. It, it it not really had, it not really had any updates at all to it for two years. It had things in it that were, I mean, we we things that were broken, and there'd been no release to even address that for two years. Um, when we took it over, there were like three thousand unanswered support emails that we went through and answered. The vast majority of them, I think, we decided to go back about 18 months or so I, I mean we we but basically about 80 90 percent of those 3,000 we got back to um on stuff so it's uh uh so the reality is the user base from moneywell's heyday has shrunk and um there are you know thousands of users but um uh, when we release the next version of moneywell we think you know those are the people who have um stuck with the application through thick and thin um either because you know they didn't know to do anything else or they were very loyal or whatever uh but we're not going to charge them for the next upgrade because you know they've they've had a rough time so the reality is our income from moneywell is going to come from new users so that means we do in some ways have to think about new users and people who are buying new software for the first time i think will tend to have newer machines so you know and, and we want to take advantage of that we need to be we need to be um you know, it needs to look good on Big Sur. Uh, it needs to uh, have some of the Big Sur UI stuff in it when when Big Sur comes out because it needs to it needs to appeal. Our future is based on new users. As much as we you know we believe our current users will be advocates for the application, they say, "Well, I've used this for ten years or whatever else." You know, if this is going to work commercially and survive as a product, it will be new users that do that. So it's tying that balance between those who are very loyal and maybe have very strong opinions about the software because they have been so law versus those who are coming along and just seeing you for the first time. And I and um, and I think in some ways the more complex the software and the more it does, the harder it is to maybe make some of those decisions. Or maybe it's hard all the time, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to leave that on the floor. So that's my week. There we are. I said uh, I, I took uh, about 12 minutes there to tell you I've been doing the same as last week. <laughs> so, hmm. yeah. But you did it beautifully. I mean... <laughs> Listening to it, it was like I, I'm just, you know, imagining you and Moneywell as as like this, you know, these cliff divers. I think of Acapulco or, and so. That's what. Like, you know, there's a cliff diver, like somebody who dives off a cliff into the ocean below. And it's very graceful that. Have you gone? No, I'm still here. Did I lose you? Are you there? You you had literally said. I imagine you and Moneywell as, and then you disappeared. And it was like, I was here with gritted teeth thinking, this is the biggest build-up ever. And then I realized you'd gone. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I think well, we're one of One of us had gone. Yeah. No, I was saying that, that this is like the, you know, the, the cliff divers um, uh, of like, I think Acapulco. That's where you see people like do this glorious dive off of this precipitous, you know, 400 meter cliff. Well, not that tall, but whatever you know, into the into the water below and there's great build up and great anticipation and then you take the dive and you can look very, very good, but still you don't know until you hit the water whether you're actually hitting the water or hitting, you know, the rocks below because you miscalculated or hitting the water and having a shark immediately come and turn you into lunch. But um I look forward to the the, the magic dive, as I'm sure many other people do. Yeah. 
<laughs> I had you've just made the next release of Many Well quite scary. <laughs> should, I'm yeah. not sure if I'm more frightened of the rocks or the sharks, but there we are. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. Whether rocks or sharks. <laughs> there's the there's the title yeah, for Rocks this or sharks. Both are something. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> both are the future anticipation anticipated friend of, of Scott. Yeah. So other than um not pressing the big green merge button, what have you failed to do this week? Well, so two things. Uh you know, uh Last week, I, I, I kind of finished wrapping up the, the last loose ends of, of a release that's going to go into QA allocation with a version that gets submitted this week, so which means starting from one week from today. Um, and I'm, yeah, I feel good about it. It's had a lot of testing, a lot of automation tests, manual tests have gone through it, and, and a lot of preparation because it, it, it's, as I said, kind of the, the first use of this, of this, this work that I've done. It's going to be good, and it will please some people, um, but I think it will end up pleasing a lot more people over a lot more time because of, of, of what's gone into it. At least that's my hope. But one of the last things I had to fix for it, it was one of these things where it, it was bugging the hell out of me, and then finally I said, okay, I just need somebody's second set of eyes. Um, and it, this was a problem where the the cells were were getting kind of compressed and smushed towards the bottom where it was scrolling. And this is, it was a table view in this case where it was, you know, it was pinned to the bottom, but, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I kept going back and forth, but I thought, oh, because I was seeing auto layout errors for these cells, but I didn't see them all the time, only when they scroll to the bottom. So in some cases you would never see it because if there was, if the content could fit at the, at the size there would be no problem but if you would for instance if if there was just more content at the regular size you would see it or even with with small amounts of content once you bumped up dynamic type size it would force the 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 view to scroll and i thought you know what did i possibly do wrong where did i leave the error did i forget to to turn off translates you know auto release you know whatever something's you know things into tags did i screw up the zip file just went through very carefully and all the kind of knit things that that can 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 screw you up on this and still was having problems so then i got on 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 a you know a, a video chat and screen share with a colleague and i immediately i was like there's got to be something i need a second set of eyes and 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 he's looking through it. it's like no that looks good that looks good wow this is kind of weird and then finally he said oh well you know it, it is scrolling towards the bottom and and maybe you know AppKit thinks those cells are 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 hidden or are off screen rather and I said, oh, that's interesting because the way this thing had been set up is that it was pinned to the bottom, um, but it was pinned to the bottom of the view, not pinned to the bottom of the the, the layout safe areas. Um, and so this is a thing with notched phones versus notch, unnotched phones, if there's a grab handle or there's not. And that's why these, these you know, safe layout areas exist because that way Apple takes care of it for you on the top and in the bottom. Um and so that was that was something that had been done before, uh, you know, and and the way that it had been worked around is that you just pin it to the bottom, but that you'd set an inset on the bottom into the into the table view, which is one way of solving it. But it's kind of not the best way. It's easier just to pin it to the to the 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 you know the layout guide and and then get rid of the this table, you know, the inset rect altogether. And and when that happened, magically everything started to work. And I felt, you know, this is a case where, you know, you're working on, on a project where other people have, have 
have pushed a project to along. They get things working the way that, that makes sense for them and given the constraints that they have, and then you pick it up and then you start adjusting it. And you, you may discover that, that decisions that were made before you kind of, you, whether they were intentional or not, can, you know, cause you problems. And and this is you know this is this is the case with stuff I write. It's the stuff in the case with stuff that you write. It's just it's just the reality. There's no such thing as as perfection. Uh, only only kind of approaching perfection and processes, and you know that that you just sometimes the second set of eyes really does help. So that that was something that was just gnawing at me. It's like ah, breaking my heart. It's not working. It's not working. Why? And and in this particular case, the insight came from somebody who used to work at Apple. So that was very happy to 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 know that you know um, that there are. It's just a reminder that implementations of things will make assumptions that you can't be aware of. And, and that's kind of an interesting thing. It's like you, you was, why would, why would something get smushed at the bottom? It's like, well, if it's off screen and not visible and clipped, you would never care. And the fact that if, you know, that you can tell whether something is visible to the user, if you know about kind of what's going on um, at the, because it's your code, you know, in other words, you know, AppKit knows things that, or UIKit knows things that you as a developer may not ever know, but when you're lucky enough to have people have some insight, that always helps. So that made me feel a little bit happier. But then the other thing um, uh, that I did last week, and this is related to, you know, abandoned products, I had occasion to go back and fire up a laptop that was, I, I don't know how old it was. I just know that was really covered with some dust and some schmutz and was so old that I had to scramble to find a MagSafe adapter. And that was to, to fire up a laptop that had the, the last running version of, of Memory Miner on it. Um, because I wanted to retrieve some photos, um, actually for our, our friend, Mike Lee. Um, and these were photos from NS conference and, and it was, it truly, I mean, it's not that long ago. Um, it's not like looking at pictures of your great grandparents or something like that, but it, it, it is weird to look at something that that's quite a, quite a bit older, you know, relatively old given, you know, how fast things change in, 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 in society or in your life or in APIs, for example. And there was Mike Lee making an example of, of good best practices. And it was in objective C of course, because Swift hadn't been invented yet. And you look at it and you think a couple of things. One is like, there were some cheeky slides and some cheeky things going on, which are fun. That's what made NS conference fun. But then, you know, you look at the expressiveness of, of objective C methods and they can be used to to insult other people's moms. <laughs> I don't know whether you know, I, I can send you privately the, the image, but you might remember it. Um, so that, that made me happy. But the thing about it was, is that, yeah, I, I, I do have recollections that even, even towards the, 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 the last releases where memory miner ever ran, there were still deprecated methods that could run it, you know, could cause problems. And I got to the, the, you know, the point where in order to, to get them out, I wanted to, it, it, it's perfectly easy to export the, 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 the photos just with, because with drag and drop, and I could even drag and drop them into, onto preview and make a document with multiple images and then, you know, uh, airdrop them to my phone, which made it a lot easier to, to bring them back live, but I wanted all the metadata and I will you know, pat myself on the back for this one in that, you know, memory miner was all about annotation and there were, and, and some of it was graphical annotation to markup areas of interest. Some of it was just plain text and, and, and geolocation and dates and stuff like that. And I was, I was absolutely, you know, careful to be able to say that memory miner, the software may go away or you, or the photos may be wanting to be sent to somebody who is never going to have memory miner on their, on their machine either, because 
it's not even a Mac or, you know, they, they have a modern version of the operating system, but metadata standards do, uh, do endure. And one of the most longstanding one is this thing called IPTC, which is invented back a long, long, long time ago. And that was used by the, the, the you know, press the, the world over. And that covers a lot of standard cases. So that was very good. Um, and then there was a new standard called Adobe XMP, which kind of, you know, which stands for Extended Metadata Protocol, which was something that, you know, Adobe spent a lot of time working on it, and, or extensible rather. And, and what was nice about it is that you could invent your own schema and you could support other data. And that's what's nice. And and anyway, so I, I put all this in. Sorry for that, you know, rambling detail. But it, it it I had to make sure that you could kind of apply it because that was a feature that I brought in after the fact. And and not everybody wants metadata embedded in the photos because it will change the photo files themselves. And some people like to kind of lock the photo files themselves, um, and and just keep metadata in a separate data store. So I had to to make that it possible to support both cases. But I was so glad that I did because, you know, even though it would crash after it finished, it would complete and work that I, I made this thing with a with a context menu where you could select any number of, of photos in the context sheet and then say, write all metadata into selected photos, which I did do. And then lo and behold, it came across and I could see it in, in other apps and it made me happy to do it. And I felt good about myself, about decisions I'd made, even though the app crashed at the, at the completion of the run, at least the, the, the important bit, <laughs> important task was completed successfully. So I don't know how you describe that in terms of Acapulco dives. I guess it made it into the water, but <laughs> yeah. the shark came and ate it afterwards. I would think, uh, I would think, um, yeah, I don't think the Acapulco dive works for that. How could you describe that one? It's like having a one-time usage car. Mm-hmm. You, you get in it, you drive somewhere, and when you get the other end, it explodes, but at least you're at the other end. <laughs> but at least you got out with with your, your life, yeah. family, and, and groceries. And most, most of the time, it does. It waits until you've got out to explode, but not necessarily all the time. <laughs> right, there we go. Oh, oh that's Lord. good. It's always yeah. good when you go back to something you did a long time ago, and you resurrect it, and you feel pleased that you took some time or effort over something. Um to get it right that's a very smug and satisfying moment it is well but then the other thing too is 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 there is this thing it's like you know what it's funny because then i added it back and because of the metadata for them you know it used to be that the very first photos that i would have in my my iphoto library were basically the first photos i ever took with a camera and i go back and look at, at those first photos and by comparison with the tavo they, they look absolutely terrible they look like they were taken with like a fisher price camera they're so out of focus relatively speaking but at and, the time we were saying how amazing they were well exactly right and so but but the, those are the first ones now i have ones that predate those and some of them are, are I, I took the the while I was in there, I kind of took the occasion to, to to make some selections and find some things which were just for the right occasion to communicate with my child, you know, who's now 16. And, and, and you know, anybody who's a parent might appreciate and remember that you think every part of your child is, is sweetness and light and you will happily kind of chew on their feet or their, you know, their toes or their, you know, whatever. And and then they grow to be sixteen, and you don't want to be in the same zip code as their smelly feet. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> uh, and and I think every parent probably has several photos of them where y- your infant is lying on your chest, and, and you're both 
just absolutely asleep and you are you're asleep because you're just exhausted from having keeping them alive and they're asleep because that's what they do and and you know the the joke i always make with my child is that you know it, it, when he was young is that he could not he would always have to be perpendicular to his fat old man if they were ever kind of taking a nap together and i would always end up with a with a face full of his feet and indeed kind of i have lots of photographic evidence which that i then sent to him through instagram direct message because that that's the uh, that's the communication channel where he's most likely to, to at least acknowledge having seen the message surly teen that he is nine hours ahead ah. there we are but that's how my week was that's good well just quickly to finish uh, uh we'll mention this we're running out of time but we'll mention this now because by next week it'll be so old news this means it's already a little bit of old news uh talking of acapulco dr- dives and whether you're going to hit the rocks or hit the water or get eaten by a shark um you know, the story last week about the developer who had his developer ID revoked. Did you see that one? No. Okay, so apparently, you know, obviously developer ID is a um, a way you can effectively sign and certify your Mac apps um, without being in the Mac App Store. So basically, if you don't have developer ID on your app, it will, it all says stuff like this is an unsafe application. Right. The right. default these days is not even to allow them to open unless you go and change some preferences. So basically, you... You you uh, no, notarize your application against your developer ID uh, to sort of like make your apps open on OS ten, uh, OS eleven, whatever we're called now, uh, and work. So basically, this is one developer. I think the app was called Downy. Uh, woke up one morning and his developer ID had been revoked. And now what happens is if you have an app that's been uh, notarized with your developer ID and that ID is revoked, is when you try to open that app, uh, OS X comes up and says, this app is malware, I shall I put it in the bin? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, now, it turns out that Apple had made a mistake. It had been through some automatic process and, and done it. But, you know, can you imagine that? You know, that you were at that much risk of suddenly your users could wake up one morning and be told that your app is malware and um, and be put it in the trash and and you've got no way of necessarily knowing who that's done to, not done to. I guess at least if it's outside of the App Store, there's a chance that you know who your customers are and you can get you can send them an email and tell them what happened. But uh, that's that's quite scary that's like you know another thing of just demonstrates that even if you're not in the app store uh, when it comes to mac apps how sort of in apple's hands you are now this was a mistake um apple have said it's a mistake um and it, and it shouldn't have happened um uh you know i'm not sure how much it affected the developer and how many customers he's lost and whether apple will do anything about that i doubt it but it, it just it was just a very big reminder that you know you, you i'm not going to be in the app store because i want my independence that you know when you're working in someone else's ecosystem which you are when you write a mac app just as you are when you write an iphone app you know, you are pretty much at the mercy of the owner of the ecosystem you know and that was a you know uh you just uh another moment of you jumping off the cliff and um it all looks good because that water was shiny and blue and at least 30 feet deep until they put a big ship underneath you <laughs> <laughs> and you and you oh, hit wow. the deck at 120 miles an hour or whatever it is um so yeah so that was just uh although you know i'm not trying to make a big deal and say apple are evil or anything i'm not that you know, they, they said it was a mistake it was quite an eye-opener to how as developers we're pretty exposed pretty exposed well scotty we live in an interdependent world <laughs> And so, Scotty, if people want to show their interdependence and and communicate with you and tell you 
um, to dive <laughs> and to just, to just go over the cliff where so that they can see what happens. Where might they do that? I hope everyone had decent audio and just said, that, please tell me to dive because that could sound like, you know, you know, like anyone else, tell me to die on Twitter or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you want me to dive, then please tell me on Twitter where I am, MacDevNet, M-A-C-D-E-V-N-E-T. And John, if they want to do the same to you, tell you to dive or do something. What should they do that? If they want to tell me, those who wish to tell me to take a long walk off a short pier may do so on Twitter where I'm Jembe, that's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Well, John, it's been good to catch up. We're recording on a Monday. We'd normally do a Thursday, but I was uh, helping my daughter move house, so, yeah. Had to, had to you know, get my priorities straight uh, there. So it's uh, we're a little bit late, we're a little bit out, but I'm sure we'll sort ourselves out at some point. But it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you as always. And hopefully someone somewhere is currently dropping at 120 miles an hour from some cliff with their ear pods in, uh, listening to this and uh, just wondering. <laughs> Looking forward to sweet relief. <laughs> just wondering and maybe even, maybe even hoping that the sea has gone at the bottom and there is nothing but rocks. <laughs> Because <laughs> it will end their misery. So if that is you and you're on your way down, happy landings. And until next time, <laughs> you take care. <laughs>